This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What's going down? Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down here on Patreon. If you don't want any ads, or elsewhere if you get ads. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin and Finn. It was a big wrestling weekend and you got to enjoy it without any of the hustle and the bustle and the overpriced drinks and all the things that go hand in hand with a live experience. Did you enjoy the shows over the weekend? Yes, I did. Yes, I mean, talk about, I mean, we'll get to Money in the Bank in, the, in a moment, but talk about Eventful. I mean, what a show in terms of consequential occurring occurrences. I mean, I think we've seen better shows in the ring, um, but I mean, it was really good in the ring, um, but it just felt like one of those shows that people are going to be talking about six months from now. So, wow, at Money in the Bank, we saw this and we saw this and that happened and this happened. Wow, what an ending, what a finale. So yeah, I thought it was um I was it felt like a huge, huge weekend for pro wrestling. Yeah, we got we got we got a lot of stuff that you know in the past we've not had a lot of stuff, you know. We'll talk about Cena in a while, but he says, you know, we've not had a WWE pay-per-view you know, in London in over 20 years, which means that he's referencing Insurrection 2002. Yeah. Which we unfortunately had to watch. But um yeah. I was I was thinking 
what's he on about? It's like, oh yeah, Insurrection 2002, not SummerSlam 1992. No. Insurrection 2002 somehow qualifies as a super show. Which, I mean, you know, if John were to watch it again, you know, he might, he might you know, he might have, he might reconsider that view. <laughs> Uh, well, listen, well, there's not too much to talk about from SmackDown because a lot of it was, uh, you know, hype for Money in the Bank. But the two big happenings on that show were the two title matches, the tag team title match and the the WWE women's title match. Let's talk about the tag one tag title match first, KO and Sami Zayn against Pretty Deadly. I mean, I don't think anybody going in thought that Pretty Deadly were going to win the titles, but how did they do in terms of showcasing themselves in their home turf, do you think? I thought they did okay. I would have liked to have seen them. I would have liked the match to last a little bit longer, like another maybe another ninety seconds, two minutes. Um, I mean, I thought it was a good step forward for Elton Prince and Kit Wilson, but maybe they should have had just a little bit more offense than they did. Uh, that would be my only complaint about it. Um, I thought I thought they did well in the match. I mean, this was a lot of pressure for them. This was obviously a huge crowd, 17,000 plus at the O2 in London. Um, obviously, everyone was watching. This is the sort of match that determines your future. If you do well as challengers against, I mean, if you don't do well as challengers against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, then, you know, there's a problem. Because, I mean, everyone does well against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I mean, point to me, show me the last time Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn had a bad match. They, these two do not have bad matches. No. Um, so I thought they did okay, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, they they had some offence. I thought the match was built well, but I think maybe they should have just had a few more near falls at the end. That would be my only complaint. What did you make of it, Kenny? Yeah, I think um, I think for SmackDown overall on Friday, and I think it kind of falls into the category of this match as well, is it was good, but I don't think it was particularly memorable. And no. I think the show overall, you know, it's the highest gross in SmackDown of all time. And if you were there live, it was a great experience. I mean, you know, the O2 is a venue where even if you're in the, the, the top of the venue, it's a, it's a decent enough view. You know, it's, they've, they, it's, it's built very well. But um, yeah. I think that SmackDown was basically a big pre-show, essentially, for Money in the Bank, which I think if you're at home, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the, the Backlash one from Puerto Rico in, in May. In May. Um, which is fine, but I mean, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think pretty deadly. It was it was fine, but I don't think that it ever got to a point where. Uh, but I don't you think, never, I don't think... You never thought that they were going to win, did you? You never no. thought Kit, Elton Prince and Kit Wilson were going to win, and it would have been nice to just have that little tease, you know, that little sort of spot in the match where you thought, oh, that could be it. Maybe they'll pull off the upset. I mean, Wilson kicked out of the blue thunderbomb, uh, but then Zayn pin Wilson. F- in fairly quick fashion after that uh, with the uh, following the halluva kick. So it didn't really feel like Zayn and Owens were in any danger of losing the belts. And I would like there to have been at least one moment in the match where Wilson and Prince looked like they might pull it off and they were never really close to winning. That would be my only complaint. And um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously it wasn't booked for that. So, you know, for them, there's not really much they could have done to, to as performers to do much more. No. Um, then we had the, the, the women's title match with uh, Charlotte Flair and Asuka. Uh, we did have Bianca Belair. She bought a ticket, that old trope thing where they buy a ticket to sit front row. Um, it's always funny how these wrestlers just have a hookup 
on these front row tickets to sold out events. I mean, connections. That's yeah. all it is. Didn't I mean, remember that connections. time back in, was it back in 2006, I think it was, when DX were outside, was it the... Was it the Manchester Evening News Arena at the time, the crime yes. time? They were getting hooked up with tickets there. Do you remember that? I do, I do. There must be a really good ticket agent that WWE superstars have have a connection to. But so Bianca was there. They had the match, and then basically uh, it was Charlotte fought. Is it Charlotte? Asuka ends up kicking Bianca by mistake, or she, yeah, there's like a spot where she ends up hitting her. I, I've not watched yeah. it back, so I can only remember seeing it from quite far. Um, but and and this basically allows. Bianca to jump the guardrail and kind of get involved through the DQ, and then it ends with Bianca doing a KOD onto uh, Asuka on the announce table. Then she does one to Charlotte, crowd chat one more time. I think to me this was a twofold thing where it was a great moment for Bianca to continue her kind of run of being really interesting and not taking any crap from anyone. But in in terms of the actual match, um, I think I think we we in our group felt whelmed by the match. We did not feel overwhelmed with, you know, excitement or emotion by it. We didn't feel under. It was just kind of there. We thought, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I thought it was a big disappointment. I mean, a lot of the stuff they did, Charlotte and and Charlotte's got maximum respect for Asuka. I mean, yeah. Charlotte thinks Asuka's the best, and stuff was missing by a mile. And like, I'm gonna say, neither seemed phased by the quality of the match, which was far below the standard one would expect from these two and the standard these two have reached before. And it just never really got going. And it all seemed to exist to do, you know, the accidental Charlotte Flair was going to do the accidental kick on Bianca as Asuka stood in front of her. Asuka moved. Charlotte directed the route. Asuka, Asuka moved and Charlotte nailed Bianca, who, of course, was in the front row with this ticket. I mean, how she, I mean, obviously connections, Kenny. It's what it's all about, isn't it? And then afterwards, Bianca's like, have, I'm not going to take any more of this. I'm fed up of being pushed around and not treated properly. I'm fed up with Charlotte Flair jumping the queue. And she, uh, you know, nailed Asuka with a KOD on the announce table and then KOD'd Flair onto the announce table as well. And the table didn't break, which I was quite surprised by. Um, but to me, it just looked like a warm-up match for a bigger match in future. That's what Flair versus Asuka felt like. And I think most people, I think, would agree with that assessment. I think it should have been better, Kenny. So, yeah, or, yeah disappointed. I was disappointed. Um, but let, So let's move on I to... I mean, okay, the, the, story, the story advancement, yeah, that was fine. And we know this is going to lead to a triple threat match at some point, probably at SummerSlam. Uh, if they can spin it out that far. So, yeah, it didn't, it wasn't a total waste. I mean, it did achieve something, but I felt like it should have achieved more. Yeah, there, there's, I think there's a there's a, a level of expectation when Asuka and Charlotte have a match and it did not reach that level of expectation that we have for it at this point. I agree. But yeah, it, it, it did have a good storyline development, so there was that. Let's move on to Money in the Bank itself the following night um, on July 1st. Um, the crowd were just crazy all night they were really up for it and um, there was no pre-show match on the show um there was a kind of james bond style video package uh lots of shots of london and all the big matches of the night uh, i said this to sondra i actually thought this video package was kind of wrestlemania-esque they'd put some real effort into it that they don't always do for video packages so i felt i felt happy to see that they'd put a bit of effort into this one yeah, yeah, it was really good. And um, 
I mean, it's something I know whenever we do the rec cover, the retro pay-per-views, you know, you always, you and Sandra always talk about the, the intro. Yeah. And, um, I mean, they used to be a big thing, right? They used to be a big part of the, the, the events. I know they're not as much now, but they used to be a real big part of it. Yeah, I agree. They, they, they definitely did. I mean, I think they have been like member Survivor Series last year. They had the appearance by Ozzy Osbourne, and that felt yes. like a really like to put a lot of work into that. You know, no, uh, <laughs> no stone went unturned to dry and left unturned to make that thing happen. And they obviously, you know, at great expense to get Ozzy involved. So, I mean, they do still do these big intros in which into which they put a ton of effort. And yeah, I felt like the James Bond sort of theme worked really well here. And obviously we have all the London, you know, you know, um, all the tourist attractions like Tower Bridge and Big Ben, and we have all that, you know. No London Taxi, I don't think, as part of the set this time, which was disappointing, Kenny. We need that. And maybe now they've finally given up on the telephone box, since most people have given up using telephone boxes because we all have phones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, because they did the, we should mention, they did the this kind of curved ramp thing that they had done for Backlash as well. So that, that was kind of the... Which, I mean, it did fit more people in the building so they could get more people in and have it be a, a bigger sellout. But we did miss the taxi. Um, we opened the show, though, with the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Logan Paul, Ricochet, Nakamura, LA Knight, Santos, Escobar, Butch, and Damian Priest. And um, there was some big moments in this match. There was obviously Ricochet and Logan Paul's attempted crazy move that went a bit wrong. Um, and, you know, we thought... We hoped LA Knight would win. We thought Logan Paul might win, but it was actually Damian Priest in the end who snatched the briefcase just over 20 minutes after LA Knight took out everyone. But Priest was just one too many. What did you make of the action and Damian Priest as the winner? Well, I, I specifically said there's no way that Dave, on last week's podcast, there's no way Damian Priest is going to win, especially after he lost on Raw last week. And how wrong was I? Yes, I was completely wrong. Uh, he lost in the main event of last week's Raw to Cody Rhodes. So uh, I should have known, you know, he's going to lose. Well, he's going to get a big win. <laughs> I feel like this was his reward for the bad bunny match at Backlash. And I know they've been speaking very highly about Damian Priest and their belief that he could be a bigger player than he is. I mean, I'm not sure about that. Although I have to say, Kenny, and we'll be talking about this on Thursday, Priest match with Shinsuke Nakamura on Raw was very impressive. So, you know, maybe this has boosted his confidence. You know, maybe now he believes he can go further than previously thought because the company seems like it's behind him. And as I always say, that's a huge part of pro wrestling is that self-confidence, which is often derived from a company having confidence in you. But yeah, LA Knight was presented as the people's choice. Um, I think everyone thought he was going to win and it was laid out in such a way where we were intended to think that he was going to win and um it was funny just seeing you know everyone i think pretty much everyone was booed uh even shinsuke nakamura i think he is quite popular in the uk he was booed when uh he knocked uh when he nailed uh knight obviously people didn't like logan paul and the story of the match was that the rest of the field, the other six competitors didn't like him either. And they kept ganging up on him. And that, that was uh, attracted a huge cheer. Um, I mean, the, the Spanish fly spot with Ricochet and Paul, um, like a springboard Spanish fly yep. off the ropes onto two tables at ringside. 
I mean, they just got over in time. No one suffered any serious injuries, but I mean, I know these two are risk takers, but I bet afterwards they were thinking, you know, that was a close call. I bet they were thinking that afterwards because it, it did look like a pretty nasty landing, didn't it? Not nasty in terms of anyone breaking bones or breaking the neck or anything, but nasty in terms of someone's face hitting the, the wood or the head yeah. instead of like the torso. But I mean, it was a spectacular spot, no doubt. And Logan Paul always wants to do these things because, you know, they go viral, don't they? They get they get shared and they get watched again and again and again. So he, he always, it's almost like a, a prerequisite for his involvement in a match. That he's got to do something like this, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a testament to Ricochet how, I mean, obviously Logan Paul is a great athlete. We've seen that in the matches, but it's a testament to Ricochet that, I think nine out of ten people, if that spot went wrong, it wasn't really going to be salvaged. And the fact that they were able to salvage it with what they did and going through the, the tables still is impressive. And I think that's why a lot of people aren't really, you know, I don't think we're, we're not really seeing it anywhere as like a, a botch or anything because it was recovered so well. And uh, yeah, I think Ricochet deserves a lot of credit for thinking on his feet and, and thinking on the fly. Yeah, I mean, he's a safe pair of hands in the ring, isn't it? Everything he does, you can just see he's in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. You know, and if something looks like it's going to go wrong, he's going to adjust in midair. And it felt like he did that there by doing like, you know, just flipping him over. So they landed in a a fairly safe way. I thought Butch did well in the match. He moonsaulted off a ladder at ringside onto a load of other people. Yeah, I thought he had a really good match. I don't think anyone thought he was going to win, but I feel like he... You know, he enhanced his reputation and um, people, I think, enjoyed seeing him do something and be presented as a star. Um, in the end, it, it looked like Knight really looked like he was going to win. It really looked like it was going to be LA, but his journey was thwarted by Priest, who then reached up and grabbed the briefcase. So that was a surprise. Um, I don't think it was a massive amount of resentment in the arena that he won. I think people were just booing him because he's a bad guy. Um, and given, you know, the way in which Knight has been presented, was presented in the run-up to Money in the Bank and the things they've said about him since, I think he's probably going to do the face turn proper this Friday. If he ha- if he didn't do it this past Friday, it felt like he was presented as a as a face on SmackDown, didn't he, LA Knight? Yes. And I think, you know, I, I do think as much as I wanted him to win and that you, you wanted him to win as well, I do think that, you know, when you look at it, that you know he's been he's been hot and on the main roster for what four months? He's been properly hot, would you say? What Three? since the uh, Royal Rumble fiasco? Well, after that, but maybe like March. He said to me in an interview that March was when he remembers feeling that the crowd are really with him. He said, he "Yeah, that, I think that's fair." Yeah. So you know, if you look at it, be March. If they don't have plans to put him in a world title picture, you know, probably with Seth with the WWE world title rather than the Roman one then, you know, you'd be setting them up to fail by giving them the briefcase. So if they don't have that plan right now, you know, Triple H did say in the press conference afterwards, I know most of the press conferences kind of just kayfabe stuff, but he did say, you know, there's lots of plans for LA Knight and, you know, this is just the beginning of his story. And it's not like we've been sitting for two years with loads of moments of whether he should have won this and this and this and this and this and this and this. So I, I don't feel as down about it as I maybe thought I would feel. I think he still got a really good show and was really protected. So I was happy to see that he looked so good and got so much in the match, uh, even though he didn't win. 
Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, it, it did feel like, I mean, I knew beforehand that he hadn't won. So, I'd, you know, kind of prepared myself and was rationalizing it in my mind as to why um, he hadn't won. And watching it back, you're like, well, you know what? They looked after him. You know, the audience was with him. In some ways, you know, you go back to Bret Hart, 1993, um, after he lost the belt, WrestleMania 9. And he played a blinder there, beginning at King of the Ring by winning that, and then the Lola feud. And lots of people like, oh, Brett, you know, he should be champ. And he was just like building all this support, wasn't he, from the masses who saw him as the top guy in the company, even though the company ostensibly didn't see him as the top guy, and they wanted him to be the top guy. And Brett went out there and delivered night in and night out, and eventually he got his reward in 1994. So... Yeah, maybe it's for the best. Um, and if they do the face turn proper this Friday at MSG, which I think they probably will, I think he's going to be all right. You know, we, we could even see him going after the US title. That could be yeah. a, a place for him to go against Austin Theory. Could be yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I th- I mean, he, yeah. He was really well protected. And, you know, you've you've said this a lot in the podcast. I think it's something that is, is worth bearing in mind is that a lot of it is how people are booked and how they're protected or not protected as to how they feel about them. And LA Knight was very protected in this match. You know, he was also the guy doing the media who was the number one guy doing media over the weekend. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to be fine. Um, We then had Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler defending the women's tag team titles against Raquel Rodriguez and Lev Morgan. And the big shocker here was that during the match, kind of out of nowhere, Shayna Baszler turns on Rousey after she's been tagged in, puts her in the clutch, and then walks out and allows uh, Rodriguez and Morgan to double-team Ronda and get the pin. New tag team champions with Raquel and Liv, and the Shayna and Ronda split. Um, What did you make of it? (laughs) I mean, I read something just before we started recording. Uh, Apparently, Ronda... Um, has been complaining that the match was uh, cut short, the Rousey and Baszler versus Rodriguez <laughs> and Morgan match. <laughs> and the comments the comments online were, thank you, WWE. We really appreciate <laughs> the fact that you truncated, you know, the Rousey match, because the longer she's out there, the worse it is for viewers. Um, I mean, the heel turn from out of nowhere by Shayna, I mean, was it a heel turn? So we'll talk about on Thursday. It was the heel turn that wasn't a heel turn, wasn't it? It's like the, the, the Becky is like the Becky Lynch SummerSlam heel turn a few years ago, where everybody just cheered when it happened. So yeah, I mean, just really odd. The whole thing is with Ronda has just been so bizarre, um, really odd. Um, I mean, yeah, the match was just not memorable at all. The only thing memorable about it was Shayna attacking Rousey from out of nowhere with no explanation, no forewarning. I mean, why did she do it? I mean, well, found out on Raw. And Rousey was really upset. Of course she was. But then Shayna is somehow treated as the baby face, even even though she was the one who betrayed Ronda. I mean, Ronda's just, she's like in this parallel world, in this parallel universe. She's just like operating you know, and this satellite, you know, somewhere away from planet WWE. And she just doesn't, she seems to be so detached from everything, doesn't she? I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah. And she just, it's like she's just not there with the rest of them. She's just off on her own somewhere. 
So, I mean, it wasn't much of a match. In some ways, I'm glad that Rousey and Baszler have lost the belts. But in other ways, I'm not, because they had only just beaten Isla Dawn and Alba Fire in a title unification match, and now they've lost the belts to Rodriguez and Morgan, and the whole thing seemed pointless. Like, why did they do that title unification match? They could have saved that um, for SummerSlam, couldn't they, and really built it up and turned that into a big match. And instead, it was this throwaway TV match that now means nothing because Rousey and Baszler are, are no longer a team and no longer tag champs. So I don't really know what to make of any of it, Kenny. I'm just bewildered, really. Because the funny thing is, because from, from what you know, the report has come out that Ronda has a hard out date. That's the uh, you know she's got a hard date that she's leaving, which is fine. I mean, we all knew she was not going to be there forever, and that's fine. I mean, she's not she's not really entertaining enough to be there forever. But obviously, the whole idea was they were going to do this tag title run, which they would have, and then they would split and do the big match with Ronda and Shayna. That's what she yeah. wanted. But surely she should have known when they won the titles recently when her outdate was going to be yeah so why is she why is she kind of because the way that it's the way that it's kind of been presented online and it kind of feels this way on tv as well is that wwe weren't really aware that the date was going to be as soon as it is so they've just rushed this kind of turn out of nowhere i mean the one thing i will say is i think this will be really good for Shayna baszler i think that she's gonna because if ronda's leaving and Shayna's our pal you've got to assume ronda's gonna put Shayna over and, yes, and you know, we, yeah, we'll get to it on Thursday. But, you know, if Shayna's kind of <laughs> going to be heralded as the woman who got rid of Ronda Rousey, she may be the biggest baby face in the place. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, that's why I'm sort of. I mean, I mean, not ambivalent, I guess, rather than bewildered. I mean, just in two minds about the whole thing. Because yeah. on one hand, yeah, Rousey and Baszler have split, which is good, and I thought Baszler had the best performance on the main roster today on Raw. And, you know, I'm looking forward to that match in the sense that maybe she will finally deliver and Rousey will put Baszler over and they'll actually have a match that someone will remember because basically nothing else that Rousey has done this year or really last year was memorable. Um, so, but yeah, Rodriguez and Morgan are champs again and it just feels like they didn't earn it. And they're the baby faces. So they just looked into the titles, but it's Fire and Dawn who are most, you know, I feel the, you know, most sorry for because had they still been NXT women's tag team champions, I think they could have really done something with uh, Raquel and Liv. And that could have been a match to remember that all four could have benefited from. And it's just been blown. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, but, you know, it's, it's difficult because in some ways you, you know, we want to give some credit to, to, to Baszler, who's, who's done some good stuff, but then also you're kind of like, but this has been so kind of shoddily put together. <laughs> you don't yeah. you want to give it too much credit. Um, so yeah, it's it's a weird one. But um, I I I mean, I, I, speaking to Sandra, speaking to various people who I was with, speaking to lots of people, the compliment is that the turn was actually way more interesting than what the match would have been without it. So, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, anyway, Raquel and Liv, new tag champs. We then got Gunther taking on Matt Riddle for the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther, who um, Matt Riddle, sorry, who seemed to have gone to Ronda Rousey's hairstylist on this show. Um. And uh, Michael Cole does say in commentary that uh, Gunther has uh, held the IC title longer than anyone bar the Honky Tonk Man or Randy Savage. So yes, there you go. Um, the match the, the, before we talk about Drew's big return afterwards, the match was short, and I guess that was by design because of what was going to happen post match. Um, do you think knowing what we know was coming after the match was it the right call to make it a kind of shorter, less sort of you know? classic match um i don't know really i mean matt riddles i mean he's really um he's really struggling isn't he i mean he needs randy orton to return you know he really does need randy orton back to essentially save his career as a star because he you know this time last year i mean he was going great guns wasn't he riddle i mean he had that amazing match with roman didn't he on smackdown that was just like you know like hey I mean, it was just like main event level match. That could have been on a premium live event. And here is in a mid-card match against Gunter. And, you know, he had some offense against Gunter. And they, they, they acknowledged on commentary that these two wrestled in progress. Um, so, I mean, they're both really good. And, you know, the match I, was an interesting match. It was a decent sort of interesting match with Gunter winning by submission, which was, you know, unexpected. So... That was like another string to his bow that he does submissions as well. It's like, how dangerous is this guy? And Riddle just tapped out like, you know, he was in obvious, you know, he come into it with the uh, with the uh, left ankle injury, the storyline yes. left ankle injury. And just before the finish, Gunter uh, was chopping at the ankle and then applied the, uh, I think it was the Achilles tendon, tendon hold or heel hook or whatever it was. And got the submission and Riddle was tapping out furiously like he was in agonizing pain. And then Riddle just disappeared. And that led to Drew McIntyre making his long-awaited return. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know really, Kenny. I mean, it was okay. I mean, the match, I think, again, could have been better. I think it could have delivered more. But, I mean, it doesn't seem like Riddle's really a priority anymore. And that's why I feel like he needs Randy Orton back. And and if Randy Orton doesn't come back, I don't know what's going to happen to Riddle. I don't fancy his chances, basically, because it's, you know, the way in which he lost here, it's going to be hard to really present him as a challenge to a top guy again. I mean, I know you can do these things because you rebuild people, but it was a very decisive win for Gunter, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it, it was. I mean, I think that, the you know, he, he has suffered a lot, um, Riddle from just kind of the absence that he's had, and I think yeah, the, the only the only thing that could kind of save him seems to be a return from Mister Randall Orton. So hopefully that yes. is something that happens. If I was or, uh, Riddle, I'd be praying for it. But 
post-match, Gunther celebrating, and then Drew McIntyre makes his big return. Massive ovation, of course, being in the UK. And he comes out, he's standing face-to-face with Gunther. Gunther tries to kind of, you know, pie him away. And then McIntyre headbutts him, gives him the Glasgow kiss. Claymore kick and picks up the IC title. So McIntyre, Gunther seems to be the direction. And as far as I'm aware from what I've read and heard, Drew has still not signed a new contract. So interesting to have the big return. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was the right time to do it. It had been rumoured that he would return at Money in the Bank. Um, and people were saying that this would be the perfect time to bring him back. Um, and you would think, given the way in which McIntyre laid him out and then picked up the IC belt afterwards, this will be a big SummerSlam match. Um, I mean, at that point, will he have broken... He won't broken Honky's record because Honky won the belt, I think it was June 2nd, I believe it was, and then dropped the belt at the very end of August. Yeah, August 29th. So it's oh, almost... Yeah, so SummerSlam will just be... He won't have broken. So it's hard for me to believe that Gunter is going to drop the belt to Drew there because I think he's going to break Honky's record. Um, but yeah, this, this was a good time for Drew to return. And you know what? If he's leaving next year... WWE should be using Drew, should be maximising his value as a performer, getting a return on the investment. I mean, he's obviously obviously been paid well and he should be out there and he should be wrestling. And uh, if he's leaving, then that means he needs to put people over on the way out. And I'm sure Drew will have no objection to doing that. But I I have a feeling that he'll be sticking around. Um, I think he's probably going to get the contract offer that he wants or that he's seeking I think there's a lot for him still to do in this company. So I turn, think he'll probably reach an, an agreement. Yeah, he's got that big heel run still to have. So yes. uh, hopefully he will. Um, we then had Cody Rhodes taking on Dominic Mysterio. Uh, this match was fairly short, eight and a half minutes. Rhea was on the outside there. She didn't really get too involved, though. And Cody gets the win with the crossroads. Uh, not a lot to this one. Good, Good crowd reaction, but not a hugely memorable match. No, well, I mean, this was the sort of match that it needed to be. I think if Dominic had had any more offense than he than he had than he'd had than he had on the night, it would not have been realistic, given where Cody is in the pecking pecking order versus where Dominic is in the uh, pecking order. We know Cody's going to be wrestling Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, um, so this match, I think, had it lasted any longer than this, it would have just been. Yeah, it just wouldn't have really made any sense. To me, it would have been nonsensical for the match to last any longer than it did. I mean, Dominic had quite a bit of offence. I thought he did okay here. Um, I mean, I thought Cody did a good job sort of carrying him through it and giving Dominic probably more offence than he really deserved. Um, But in the end, uh, Dominic Dominic did kick out of uh, the disaster kit, but then Cody uh, hit the uh, Cody cutter... And uh, was it Cody? Yeah, hit hit the Cody cutter, and that was uh, and that was the three. So yeah, that was the right outcome, um, and uh, yeah, about the right length of time. I felt. Uh, yeah, I think they were in a kind of tough spot from the perspective of, like you say, you couldn't really have Dom do much more to Cody because of where he's going. But then it did kind of mean it was going to be in this kind of spot. So the crowd, the crowd were into it. But I, I do understand if you were watching it at home, it was fine. Um, I think it was I think it was carried a bit by how over both of them are. How yes. over the only thing I would have changed is I would have liked to have seen Rhea get a bit more involved and create a little bit more um 
uh, sort of uh, discomfort for Cody, not make it easy yeah. for him. Well, well, I mean, she did. She did pull uh, Cody Rhodes off the apron and then hurled him into the ring post, and then Dominic took over after that. Um, I did feel maybe aspects, parts of the match were a little bit rushed. Maybe Dom was just rushing things a little bit here. I think yeah. he just needs to calm down, interact with the crowd more between moves. And it was like maybe they just planned a little bit too uh, planned too many moves for the time that they'd been allocated. So, you know, that would be, you know, one, you know, minor um, niggle about match that maybe, you know, Dom just needs to slow down, take it easy, um, just do more crowd interaction because the crowd, lo- we know the crowd loves to boo it. Yeah. So he's doing that crowd working stuff. I mean, that just massively amplify the the crowd noise in the arena. Uh, but Cody needed to win and convincingly so, and he did so, and that was the way it was supposed to be. Then came, you know, Drew McIntyre was obviously a surprise that we didn't know was coming of him returning. Uh, but the bigger surprise was right after this uh, Cody match with Dom, John Cena's music hit. And people were just losing their minds. And, um, you know, I, I will. So I'll just give you my kind of live perspective before I throw to you, Finn, because I know that whenever the big JC's around, I'm always excited to hear what you thought. Um, but he came out um, and it's a massive surprise. Everyone was cheering. I was cheering. It was good to see him, you know, a big star and all that. And um, he then starts getting on about how great the, the audience are. And there's not been a pay-per-view here in over 20 years. And, uh, you know, the fans are the decision makers, they're the voice, they're the heartbeat. And then people start... You are the show, Cena said. You are the show, meaning the audience. Yeah, you are the show, meaning the audience. Everyone's going crazy. And then it happened. Then the people around me, I, I was not participating in this. Thank you, Cena, was the chant. And I thought, have you all lost your mind? Do you not remember what he put us through? Do you not remember the trauma? And this bastard is coming out and just making you a sheep. And you're just shouting, thank you for what? What has he done? He's come out, done fuck all, and he's getting, thank you, Cena chat. I couldn't believe my ears. Yeah. But, you know, people, because also... I would understand it if they'd said thank you, Cena, after what he said next, because, I mean, then he really led people up the garden path, because he's... Oof. There should be a WrestleMania in London, and, I mean, I've been in... I've been at maybe, like, what, 14 WrestleManias, I think, and I've been to loads of events over the years. I don't know if I've ever heard a reaction like the crowd, when he basically made it sound like WrestleMania was coming to London. It was monstrous. This is what he said. There is not a more exciting audience than the audience in the United Kingdom. So I'm here to try to bring WrestleMania to London. And so he does this whole thing, talking about why WrestleMania should be in London. Then Grayson Waller comes out, talks for too long, but he comes out and kind of says WrestleMania should be in Australia and all this stuff. And, And then in the end, of course, Waller attacks Cena and Cena then uh, does the AA to Grayson Waller and leaves. So I had assumed that if Cena's coming out and doing this, then it's in the plans, because it, it would not be in the plans if, if he's coming out and doing this. But as far as I'm aware, like it's not in the, the current plans for this to happen, because 
you know, in America, cities need to bid for WrestleMania. They pay money for it. We obviously know that's why the Clash at the Castle show, which would not have been called Clash at the Castle if it was in London, but that's the reason it wasn't at Wembley because Wembley didn't weren't paying any money for it. They they would have hosted it, but yeah. they they need to be paid. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. The Welsh government um, they bid for it and they got it. Uh, they paid WWE over two million pounds just to host the um, the event. And that's what London will have to do over to you, Mr. Cam, you know? So, (laughs) but the thing is, it's like, you know, will he be mayor by the time WrestleMania arrives in London? Probably not. I imagine he'll probably be in the House of Commons by then. Um, So, I mean... What what did you think of the idea? Obviously, it's a huge surprise to see Cena. Great surprise for the crowd. Um, And he kind of comes out and, you know, I get, I mean, pander. Is not oh. even the word for what this was. Oh, I mean, I was almost vomiting. I mean, it was just revolting, the sucking up. You know, but, and it was like, he always did this. Yeah. And he did it here to a <laughs> degree. It was ad nauseum. It's like, oh, come on. Can you not see what he's doing here? And it's like, well, maybe WrestleMania. I wrote about this in the latest issue of the magazine, didn't I? Will WrestleMania come to the UK? My answer's there in the magazine. And like, yeah, maybe, maybe it will. But I mean, there's a lot of competition for WrestleMania. And I always think, when you think of the amount of people that are involved in WrestleMania weekend, amount of WWE people and the events that happen before and after, and just the uh, you know amount of people that you've got to get to that location to that city, um, and just all you know logistics of putting it together, all those shows and all the equipment and everything, it's like could it take place in London at Wembley Stadium? Well, yes, it could, but I mean, I think it would be a hell of a job to put that together, and it's going to be it's far easier just to do it in the states. And you've got plenty of um, cities there that will bid for it because they know that it has a huge, you know, economic benefit to the area. So, I mean, for London to get WrestleMania, they would have to pay a lot of money. And I just, I mean, if they weren't going to pay for Clash of the Castle, Kenny, are they really going to pay for WrestleMania? Because that's going to cost them, I don't know how much more, but loads more than Clash of the Castle cost. Like loads more. Two nights at Wembley. Is a lot of money. Yeah, um, I mean, you talk, you'd be talking. I would think tens of millions. You would have to pay, maybe not tens of millions, maybe fifteen million. I don't know, but a lot of money would have to change hands from why? the local government to WWE in order for WWE to entertain the idea, stage an event of that magnitude in that city. And when you think of how much it would cost WWE to just fly everyone and everything over, get everything over for a show in. In London, I mean that's going to be a huge expense in itself, isn't it? Yeah. What I'll do is before we talk on Thursday, I'll try and do some digging and find out if I can find out a cost that a city paid in recent years, roughly, and then we'll be able to say sort of here's what London would need to pay, and would they pay? Because London, does London need to pay it? I mean, does London? I don't think I don't think London needs WrestleMania. No, but... I don't think so either. I mean, they just like last month they had the you know the massive pink gigs in Hyde Park. Yeah. I think Guns N' Roses, I think, just played in Hyde Park as well. So you've got all these massive crowd-drawing events happening all the time that they don't have to, probably don't have to pay anything for. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it was masterful by Cena. 
I couldn't I, I couldn't in good conscience I could not chant thank you Cena. I just oh. I couldn't it's it's the words don't seem like they go together. No. Anyway, you just think of that, you know, that career graveyard with all those like gravestones with wrestlers wrestlers' names on them that Cena buried or hindered or you know, hampered in some way, and you just think, well, here he is now as this full-time movie star dropping in. And, yeah, it was a really nice surprise for everyone on the night. But that sucking up was too much for me. I mean, I thought Grayson Waller was really, you know, I thought he had his best night to date opposite Cena here, or best night to date on the main roster. Um, He didn't seem too intimidated by Cena. No. Which must be, you know, you've got a hell of a lot of self-confidence to go one-on-one with Cena on the mic. Um, and, I think he went uh, long. I think he was nervous. So he went longer than he probably should have. But that's he's new. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and you what, know, what was funny saying that you know how much of a style icon Cena was. That was really funny. Second <laughs> Cena's movies. Um, Wallace said he wanted Mania to take place in Australia. And then uh, you know I've heard a few good lines. And then Waller offered to save Cena's career by inviting him to appear on the Grayson Waller effect on Mania from Australia. So that was a really good line. And then we had the little scuffle and Cena, of course, nailed Waller with the attitude adjustment, So, which was the right way to end it. And I thought Cena did show quite a lot of restraint, you know, as Waller insulted him. And I think Cena was just dying to cut him off and he didn't. So I give Cena a lot of credit for that. Uh, let's move on to the women's money in the bank. Delina Vega, Becky Lynch, Zoe Stark, Bailey, Io Sky, and Trish Stratus in the women's money in the bank match with a very inventive finish, uh, some very cool spots, and in the end, Io Sky taking the briefcase. How did how did the women do here at this stage in the show after a burnt out, you know, being a bit burnt out from Cena? How do you think they did? I mean, it started really badly. Uh, Zelina Vega did this uh, abysmal meteor on Bailey at, at ringside. I mean, that just looked so awful. I couldn't believe how bad that looked. Um, I mean, Zoe Stark, I, I thought it was really f- refreshing that Zoe Stark and Stratus, Trish Stratus did not turn on each other, and Zoe was there to help Trish. So how do we have Zoe and Trish working against each other, and then Bailey and Eos Sky working against each other? I think that would have been too much and that would have detracted from the big finish. So I thought they, I thought that was really sensible what they did there. Um, yeah, there was some, there was some good stuff there. I mean, you know, Stratus and Stark, I thought looked pretty good. Um, I thought there was uh, Vega actually nailed Stark with a code red off a ladder onto a connecting horizontal ladder. I thought that looked really good. I thought Vega re- redeemed herself a little bit there. <laughs> Um, you know, Sky appeared to have it won, but then Bailey knocked her off the ladder. So that was that was you know quite a moment there because Bailey and Sky up until that point hadn't really been working against each other, and that was the moment when we knew that Bailey and Sky were not on the same team. Um, one thing about the match that was a bit odd was there was a huge sequence at ringside between Becky Lynch, Stratus, and Zoe Stark where they were battling at ringside, and then everyone else had disappeared. The other three had vanished, hadn't they, Kenny? And no one was attempting to climb a ladder and grab a briefcase. Did you notice that? I did, yeah, yeah. I I, I noticed that when I watched it back, but I I didn't notice it live. uh, And you're like, why is someone not attempting to climb the ladder to grab the briefcase? And I thought that was a bit unrealistic, because that went on for a long time sequence at ringside. This was when the handcuffs were produced uh, by Zoe Stark. Um, 
So, I mean, that was something they handcuffed uh, Becky Lynch. And I think they were going to handcuff her to the ring post or the turnbuckles or something, and they were unable to do so. But this then led to the finish where Bailey and Lynch were there. Um, and it was EO Sky that handcuffed Becky Lynch to Bailey with their arms in between the rungs of the ladder. So they were handcuffed to each other. And then EO climbed over the top of Bailey, climbed the rungs, and grabbed the briefcase. So I've never, I don't think we've seen a finish like that before. I think we have seen finishes with handcuffs, but not that finish before. And I thought it was really creative. Um, EO Sky was a really popular winner. You know, I'm pleased she won because at least I got that prediction right, Kenny. <laughs> so you got one. And, yeah. And I thought, you know, I thought Becky Lynch was great because she was sold, you know, she was so disappointed that she hadn't won. And Bailey was really miffed that she hadn't won either. And this is, I think Lynch has been in, I think she's been, is it five of these matches? I think they said, and she's never won one yet. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, and, and she shouldn't have won this one. It was. No. It was it, the, I I actually liked this one a bit more than the men's one, just because I I, I really enjoy. I think I had lower expectations for it, and it delivered more for me than I thought it would. Um, but yeah, Eo winning was a really good choice, and I think her and Bailey. There's with Bailey sort of turning her in the within the match that kind of gave Eo the you know the the storyline reason to go. Well, okay, if that's how we're playing it. I can do the same to you. So we'll see that obviously play out. On SmackDown and Friday, so yeah, yeah, it was a very popular outcome, which was um, I think we needed after Damian Priest had won the men's. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. We then had the penultimate match: Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor for the World Heavyweight Title. This was not as long as I think people would have maybe thought it was going to be twelve and a half minutes, and it kind of really kicked into high gear near the end. And then Priest came out with a briefcase to sit at ringside, and he ended up being the I don't know whether it's an intentional distraction. Well, I mean, both we know now, but I mean, basically, he distracts Balor by standing up when Balor's about to go for the second coup de grace, and this distracts Finn. So then he tries it, m- misses the move. Rollins does the stomp, and Seth gets the win. And Damian and Balor are angry at ringside. Obviously, we'll talk about that more with Raw. But what did you make of the the match? Um, I think part of the problem was he'd seen a lot by this point, and I think. The emotional roller coaster that the Money in the Bank, uh, women's Money in the Bank ladder match had taken fans on. I think they almost needed a sort of breather match here. So I think they were, you know, fans were a little bit fatigued because they'd seen so much in the previous match. And then, you know, the Cena thing was this unexpected, you know, huge sort of moment. So I think they were sort of swimming upstream here. Um, kind of like some of the matches, or certainly the matches that followed Osprey versus Omega at Forbidden Door, they were in a similar position to this. I mean, maybe if they'd been out there three or four more minutes, they might have, you know, really electrified the crowd. Felt like the crowd were pretty flat for most of it, Kenny. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, I mean, the match made sense. You know, Balor worked on the ribs. You know, Rollins has been having like the storyline rib injury for weeks uh, that Balor has been working on again and again. So the match made sense. You know, the match was totally sound. Technically, everything all was done according to plan, as it should have been. And I think it was an interesting, um, you know, extra with Damian Priest coming out with a briefcase. And then Priest, you know, did he do it deliberately or not? Uh, Distract Balor as he was about to do the diving double foot stomp and whether it was deliberate or not, it still ended up costing Balor the match. As you said, Rollins won after the stomp. So, 
yeah, I mean, I was expecting a little bit more Kenny from this match. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it was, it was fine, but the, the the crowd only had so much in them, and they had to yes. direct it somewhere. Because um, the main event, the Usos against the uh, Roman Reigns Sol Sokoa, obviously this match went about 30, 32 minutes, and I, I mean, live, the first half was a bit of a struggle, just because I think the crowd were still kind of burnt out from what they'd seen earlier. Um, but by the time the second half got going, people got really into it. Obviously, the week kind of predicted it was going to be Jimmy Uso who was going to pin Roman Reigns, but it was Jay Uso who pinned Roman Reigns in the end here. People were just, you know, so happy to see the Usos get the win, so happy to see Roman Reigns take his first loss in over three and a half years. Um, live, it felt like they gave people what they wanted. How did you feel watching it uh, at home? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it was it was very slow moving. Um, certainly the first five minutes, almost nothing happened. And, um, you know, Reigns was doing the crowd interaction. There was a lot of crowd chants, some of which were rather vulgar, I felt, Kenny. Um, and it was really funny listening to Wade Barrett on commentary, you know, just complaining about that. You know, that, that was actually, that did amuse me. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, they were out there, as you say, over half an hour. And um, there was these sort of long things long build up to to where Jay and Reigns squared off. And then, you know, there's just parts there when Reigns and Jay squared off for the first time and Ray dominated Jay, you know, headlock, you know, knocked him down, you know, and it was all really like slow moving stuff. And Jay was really selling Reigns' offense and Reigns was working the crowd. And you could just tell from the speed at which this early sequence was paced that this match was going long was going to be a half hour epic and it was so yeah it was very slow moving um but also i think it did build really well and certainly in that second half there were moments there where we thought oh you know reigns is going to do it again we had the ref bump although what was quite interesting on the ref bump was it looked like this happened and reigns sold it as though he was he was not aware you know it was not deliberate he did not want the ref to be knocked out at that moment and usually you know the opposite is true. So that was quite interesting there. Um, Reigns and Solo uh, spiked and speared Jay at the same time. And then Solo dragged Jimmy on top of Jay. And Reigns went for the double pin like he had done on Edge and Daniel Bryan. Um, you know, and Jimmy and Jay kicked out. And Reigns, Solo and Heyman at ringside were just flabbergasted. You know, what are we going to do now? Reigns looked like he was close to tears. So I thought that was really good. I mean, the match continued. I mean, Solo accidentally put himself through a table. Um, Jay on a kick out then accidentally, or maybe accidentally on purpose, um, gave Reigns a low blow, which was not something they really acknowledged on commentary. I thought the commentary was pretty good most of the night, but they, they didn't really emphasize what had happened there which is something we, of course, we've seen Reigns doing at several uh, major matches. Um, and so Reigns had been hit with a low blow, which he really sold. Then Jimmy and Jay hit a double super kick. And then Jay finally hit the, uh, the splash from the top rope. And people were just like, couldn't believe it when Reigns was pinned. But I've got to say, they did kind of give it away, didn't they? Uh, on commentary uh, at the beginning, before the match began, actually. Uh, when uh, Michael Cole said, the last time that Roman Reigns was pinned or submitted, 
December 15th of 2019. You know, they did rather telegraph the outcome with that statement, didn't they, Kenny? Yeah, just just a bit. But I mean, I think, you know, when you, when people were watching it live, they were, you know, you're so caught up in the moment because there's been t- times where you've thought Roman is going to lose and he still doesn't. So I think that they, they kind of got away with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in live, people were just like, could not, could not contain themselves. It's a huge moment. Um, you know, it's a it's a massive moment that like is part of the storyline consequence for the rest of the year. Um, and you know the the thing you mentioned earlier about the double pin. What I thought was so good about that, I tweeted about it was, you know, there's so many shocked faces that we get in wrestling now, so many yeah. all the time. And Reigns just did it to perfection, like perfectly, because and alive that was the moment we all thought that in the crowd you could tell thought that was the pin he was going to stack them and pin them live um and obviously he didn't but he it was the throwback to what he'd done before so i mean yeah live this was just a a great experience to see this and um i mean i think yeah i think the crowd were just it's one of those things where did they give the crowd too much is that part of the problem of why they were too why they weren't awake enough during the first half of this i don't know i think it was just they were going to do a certain style of match and the crowd were, I just think they weren't going to get into it to the second half, given where it was in the show. Yeah, but. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've got to say, they were smart with the match length. I was saying I would have preferred that Rollins and Balor had lasted longer um, and it probably would have been a better match if it did. And same with Riddle and Gunter. But I, I mean, they obviously worked out that, you know, they were giving a lot away on this show and the matches couldn't be too long. Otherwise, people would have been exhausted for that main event and would not have reacted to that historic pinfall in the way that they did. Or maybe they would have done because it was such a you know, momentous occasion, such a historic pinfall. But we should also mention that, because uh, this show went off the air at like 11.35pm. So, if you know, they might not have that much more time in the O2 where they could have run it. So maybe that plays into, you know, they just couldn't give in more time because they... Because you know, they only had seven matches on the show. It wasn't like there was yeah. loads. But um, yeah, I thought it was just a, a top-tier event. <clears throat> Excellent stuff. Um, had a really good time watching it live. And um, yeah, WWE continuing this uh, you know, run of events in 2023 that are just, they're nailing it. So hopefully, and I can't see SummerSlam being the one to break that. Oh, no. Start, I mean, SummerSlam, I mean, we, we, we figure it's going to be Jay versus Reigns. We know that's going to be big. So it's going to be Lesnar versus Cody, Drew versus Gunter. I mean, that's three matches that we know are going to deliver. Yeah. You know, and a probably... Becky Trish, which I think is probably going to do well on the night. Yes, I agree. I think Charlotte versus Asuka versus Bianca. I mean, that one, question mark over that one. Hopefully they'll get it together on the night. Yeah. But it's already looking like a blockbuster show. And they haven't, I don't think they, they've actually announced anything for the show yet, but we know it's going to be huge. And I would agree, yeah, Money in the Bank, it just felt like a momentous, it felt blockbuster, it felt huge. And even though some of the matches could have been better, it's hard for me to believe that anyone would have, you know, left the O2 that night feeling like they hadn't received value for money, even with those super high ticket prices. Because, I mean, WWE, they pushed the boat out, didn't they? Yeah. They did, but I mean, you know, I think, and and you can you can read read Finn Finn's full thoughts on it because you're reviewing it for the magazine, so yes. people get to hear uh, or read all of Finn's thoughts on it. So um, do go to insidetheroadsmagazine.com where you can buy our current issue with Seth Rollins on the cover, and the pre-order for the next one will be soon-ish. I don't know when, but it'll be soon. So just keep an eye on our social media for that. 
And uh, Patreon is the best way you can hear more of Finn and I, ad-free for the main shows. And also we do an overrun, we do uh, retro shows, loads of stuff. So patreon.com forward slash inside the rope. So Finn, I look forward to chatting to you on Thursday about more wrestling, because there's always more wrestling to talk about. That's it. We can talk more about Ron, <laughs> Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. And, um, you know, and something they were involved in that was actually entertaining. So uh, I'm really looking forward to covering that. Yes, we'll be covering Raw and whatever else has been going on by then. So, yeah, we hope you uh, are going to check that out with us. And uh, thank you for all your support. And we'll talk to you soon. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 